The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, a filmmaker, Ms. Linda Booker, who blends art with activism. She is the producer of several documentary films, including Bringing It Home about hemp, and more recently, Straws, a film featured in the Wild and Scenic Film Festival lineup, which is where I first became aware of it. Ms. Booker grew up in New Jersey where she says she fell in love with nature. It was her playground, and so it makes sense that her work revolves around protecting it. She spent her formative years in Southwest Florida, and after graduating from Florida State University, worked as a graphic designer and art director for an assortment of publications. But today, we are going to talk about her film, strawsfilm.com, if anybody wants to go online and see it. And I also should mention that she attended the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. Welcome, Ms. Booker. It's great to have you with me. Well, thank you, Melinda. It's just an honor to be able to join you today. Well, I have recently begun when I travel and I visit beaches, I no longer pick up shells, I pick up plastic. And I have become acutely aware of a growing problem with plastic waste, single use plastics. And I happened to be on our local committee to screen films to see which ones we were going to choose for our local wild and scenic film festival. And I absolutely advocated for your film. I think it's terrific. Tell me how you came to the subject of plastic waste and why in particular you focused on straws. Sure. I've always been, as you mentioned, someone who loves nature. I love to walk trails, you know, the beach. I've been so fortunate in my life to be in many beautiful places here in the United States and Florida and North Carolina and around the world. And I increasingly started noticing the amount of plastic litter in a lot of places, places that I hadn't really seen it before. And what was particularly disturbing was that I was seeing it on nature trails. And I thought, where is this disconnect happening? I started seeing it on the lake shores where I lived in North Carolina. And again, I was just so disturbed by the fact that people are coming there to enjoy the beauty of this place, and yet here it is, the beach has litter on it. And where is it coming from? And so even before I did Straws, I was engaged in this topic and doing some videos for the city of Durham. And what we were talking about was water quality and in the watersheds and litter and how that was affecting it, as well as with an organization called Clean Lake Jordan, that had a huge amount of litter accumulation, and this was washing in from watersheds. So that's where my interest started. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's interesting that you were able to tackle such an enormous problem by focusing on one small piece of it and yet expanding the issue also within the film. So your film starts out with a history of straws, and you've got even some discussion about how in Egypt there were straws and how straws 
do have a place for people who need assistance in getting liquid into their mouths and doing so in a way that is bacteriologically safe. But they've become a problem in that we have this statistic in your film, 520 million plastic straws are disposed of each day in the United States. That's unfathomable. And that number could be disputed a little bit. A lot of people have actually think that number is higher. And I want to back up just a little bit because actually I got into this topic of straws before it really started hitting the media and national awareness, actually global awareness. Back in 2015, I was working at the Sonoma International Film Festival. My colleague, Dave Shore, and I, again, disturbed by seeing a lot of plastic in places in beautiful Sonoma on hiking trails. And he's actually the one who turned to me and said, I've got a documentary film idea for you. What about straws? And I had to sort of think about it for a minute, and I realized what he was referring to. We had had a lot of attention at that time going to plastic bottles and to plastic bags. You know, California had already passed some you know, policy around that. But I had never really heard anyone single out the plastic straw. And so for that reason, I thought, wow, if I hadn't heard of it, and I kind of considered myself pretty eco-conscious and someone who was pretty into this issue, then chances were that a lot of other people were not thinking about it. And of course, this was back in 2015. And while I was and in that research, that's when I saw that number and it, the 500 million. So I was alarmed and I figured that's why this, this film possibly was needed to help educate about just this one single plastic use object. Well, once you become aware, then you start seeing all of the straws that we interact with on a daily basis. I think about my own children growing up. They're adults now, but when they were little, we had the juice boxes, which are mentioned in the film, of course, and each one of those little juice boxes has a straw attached to it. And the film says, yeah, there are 4 billion juice box straws per year that end up in our waste stream. And what I thought was so interesting is that I try to be a good eco-conscious consumer. I have my recycling bags and I try to recycle the little bit of plastic that I do use, but there's no recycling stream for straws. No, and that was a big reveal for me. And I think that comes as a surprise for a lot of people. The majority of them are probably going to be trashed anyway. I think a lot of people throw them just in the trash. Or, of course, unfortunately, a lot of them end up as litter in streets because they're they're being thrown out with the cup or they're being thrown out with the plastic lid they're stuck in with. And so that did surprise a lot of people. The other thing I think that surprises people is they those who thought they were recyclable, they are not. And so even one straw can cause a lot of havoc in a recycling system. It can jam up the machinery. It's small. It catches in things. So really, the two real problems for waste management systems are plastic straws and plastic bags when it comes to recycling. Both can ruin whole, almost a whole batch of recycling products. Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, they really should be banned with the exception of specific medical use, in my opinion. I thought it was interesting. One of the big motivators, it seems, for people is seeing how plastic, maybe it's not us or our children, but people seem very concerned about wildlife. And so you have in the film the story about the turtle that had a straw lodged in its nose, 
And that transformed one biologist to make this into a campaign. You also mentioned plastic in shorebirds. So what happens with these little pieces of plastic that get everywhere is they become part of what looks like food to wildlife. Tell me a little bit about what you discovered in making the film about the problems with wildlife eating this stuff. It's a terrible problem. And as I was speaking with these marine biologists, they said that definitely plastic is a huge threat to all marine animals. It kind of goes on a scale. The fishing nets really are probably the number one problem for the health and well-being of a lot of marine life. But then when we get down to plastics that are actually something that they can get into their mouths. And actually, I love one line in the film where Sarah Mae Nelson from at that time, she was working at Monterey Bay Aquarium says, an animal is going to eat anything it can fit in its mouth. And sadly, at that time, a lot of the research was indicating that anywhere from 50 to 80% of sea turtles are ingesting plastic. And Wallace Nichols, who's in the film, says probably almost every turtle is going to encounter plastic in its lifetime. There was just a disturbing report that came out last week that this is now adding to the already very tough odds of a baby sea turtle making it into adulthood because as they're now doing research on baby turtles that they're finding that are have, have died, their tummies have plastic in them. So we're looking at a very widespread problem globally when it comes to the ingestion of plastic. And I want to add that another really something that just kind of heartbreaking is that it's not just sea animals. Land animals are eating plastic. And so in a lot of countries where there's a lot of litter on the ground, a lot of plastic, cows are eating it, goats are eating it, all kinds of animals are eating it now. And then we get down to the microscopic level in the oceans because as we talk about in the film, a lot of plastic is breaking down in tiny particles. And now we have it just in the water itself. And that is a whole big discussion that's going on right now is how is that affecting a lot of things from fish to even our well-being. Right. I have read articles stating that because of those microscopic particles that are now in the water, they get into the fish and then ultimately we eat them. So it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that what we do to the environment, ultimately we do to ourselves, but we really have no idea what we're doing and what kinds of problems we're going to see physiologically from consuming these microparticles. In fact, you talk about clothing with nanoparticles of plastic. I had no idea. And then every time we wash one of these garments, the laundry water carries those their microscopic particles of plastic away, and our water treatment centers can't really process them. Now, these were discoveries that were relatively new as I was in production, and it was alarming to find out these things. But it's also good to start getting people to understand exactly the level where plastic is infiltrating us on every scale. And so it is everything from the very beginnings of it, of its production and its procurement through production of plastic products to the refineries to the plastic factories to now to the products that we know our interaction with them does affect our health. And then it's going down into the microplastic level. So it's getting into our water. Another report that came out, I believe last year, was that when they tested water in both 
well systems and in tap waters globally, it's about 80% of the water now contains microplastic particles. So there's a lot of research emerging, a lot of new intensified focus on what does this mean. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more reporting coming out about the effects on human health around this. And I do want to talk about a report that actually came out last week. So but I'll, I'll mention that later as we get into this a little bit more. Well, no, I'm very interested in hearing it. And since you mentioned it, we should talk about it now. Sure. It's actually a report that came out from the Center for International Environmental Law. It's a huge paper called The Hidden Costs of a Plastic Planet. And so this is a coalition of international groups that have come together to look at everything from the plastic life cycle and how is that affecting human beings. A lot of conversation in the film is around animals, as we have mentioned, and their ingestion or interaction with plastic. But there hasn't been quite as much, I would say, a lot of public awareness or or media reports on on plastic and human health. This is something that the Plastic Pollution Coalition, which is a, a partnership organization with the film, has really been focused on for a long time. And so I think this is, it's good to get this in the public awareness, but it's also going to be a challenge to get a lot of people to accept that this requires a lot of awareness and a lot of change, a lot of education if we're to move the dial on how do we handle this problem. Exactly. You know, we're halfway through, so let me just take a moment to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Ms. Linda Booker. She is a filmmaker. We are talking about a film that was featured in the Wild and Scenic Film Festival lineup that she produced and directed titled Straws. Now, I do want to talk about the health component because one of the things that, at least in the dietetic world that we're familiar with, is the endocrine disruptor nature of plastics. And so we're very conscious about not microwaving in plastic. We don't want to have water bottles kept in heat in the car. We look for cans that are not lined with BPA. But I think the take-home message here, and certainly that you're helping to reinforce, is that plastics are everywhere. And yet you would think that there would be some sort of legislation that says, okay, we need to stop producing these plastics. But I've read articles that actually we're going to be producing more. And I believe there was a part of your film that mentioned how much more plastic waste we would be anticipating by 2025. So for today, or at least at the time you made the film, 8 million metric tons of plastic was an approximate of every year went into the waste stream. And by 2025, it's going to be 17 million? Yes, that's a number that is coming out from Jenna Jambeck, who is a waste management expert. And she has been traveling around the world now talking about her group's discoveries around this topic and that if we keep going on this trajectory, it gets worse and worse and worse. Now, the hope is, and, you know, I used to use that word a lot. I think what's happened in the last few years is... The word crisis is being used a lot. It's being taken very seriously. So on one hand, why it's, of course, not good news in a lot of fronts, I guess what is happening, though, is there is a real groundswell on an international scale, I would say, to focus on this issue because it's so apparent now. I think even though this this wonderful report that came out talks about a hidden problem, I think one of the things 
is the fact that it's not so hidden anymore. Because when you're going to your favorite resort or your favorite beach or even the most beautiful places on the earth, plastic is underfoot. So now that it is more visible, I think there's more awareness, but it cannot just stop at the level of plastic litter or pollution. What you mentioned about plastic and human health around food and agriculture, that's something that doesn't really get discussed a lot. And so I think what we have to really, and and it can so be so overwhelming, and of, and of course it is, but what we have to look at is that plastic is a contaminant. Just going into soil and water and infiltrating everywhere, just like we would be discussing a chemical spill in a tributary system or a watershed that's getting into our drinking water or that's affecting farmland or that's affecting the air, a factory that's emitting very dangerous chemicals that aren't being regulated. I mean, this is the viewpoint that it's going to have to, you know, people are going to have to start looking at it that way for, I think, for it to be a major, major shift in what's have to happen, which is that we reduce production We reduce the use and we have to reduce the disposal. Yeah. One of the people that you featured in your film, Pam, is it Longobardi from Georgia State University? Uh She's collecting plastic from different parts of the world. And I love what she said. First, she said plastic is this food imposter for wildlife, but she did not mince words when she said it's really criminal, but it's an environmental crime for which no one is really being held responsible. Well, it's hard to pinpoint a lot of times where exactly is it coming from. I mean, we can certainly look at what areas of the world are contributing the most to plastic inputs into oceans. The United States is not the number one. And, and, you know, India and China and Indonesia, these are areas that they're more troublesome because their river systems are carrying more of the plastic into oceans and Statistically, 80% of the plastic that goes into the oceans is coming from an inland source. But what has happened is, though, is there is some responsibility now being focused on to the corporations that are producing it. So you have some environmental groups like Greenpeace and some others that are looking to really kind of hold them to that, to start analyzing the litter, to see who who is behind it and to make the companies that are producing it more responsible and make some changes. And we are seeing change. So again, we have a huge problem, but the corporations, some of the bigger ones, are have made, I would say in the last two years, are making steps. Mm-hmm. Is it enough? Probably not, but they are they are taking some measures. Yeah. And I think that we as citizens can use social media to help congratulate companies that do a good job and are responsible corporate citizens. And similarly, I think that we should be bringing forth those who are not. And I think I recently saw a campaign that said, if you find some plastic trash on a beach or wherever in nature, you take a picture of it and you post it on your social media site and you say, who owns this and who's taking responsibility for it? So it gets back to the corporation that developed the stuff and got it out there in the environment. I like your focus on hope. And before we started the interview, I asked if you were involved in other projects. And you mentioned that you're doing some work with schools. Tell me more about that. 
Sure. And I know we've been having a very serious discussion, but if, for people who aren't familiar with the, with the documentary, I do want to assure them that it's not a complete doom and gloom type of, of film. In fact, I set out to do the opposite. I was influenced by documentary filmmakers who used humor to kind of make things a little more palatable for the viewer. And so, you know, I set out to do something that I hoped was entertaining, could make us laugh a little bit, but also would include a lot of important information to inform and to hopefully inspire people to make some changes. And so I think you might have seen it at Wild and Scenic, I guess, what, in 2014? I or, saw no, sorry, it this way, year. Way too far back, 2018, I think. I saw it in 2018. It. Yeah. No, excuse um, me. I saw it in 2019. We just showed it this year. Oh, okay. That's right. It's on the, the touring circuit, which That's is fantastic. That's right. Yeah, I love the fact that other places around the country are showing it. So what the film has been able to do, I think, is take something that can be completely overwhelming if you really start delving into it, but at least introduce people to the Plastic Pollution 101 crash course in 30 minutes. And we do have some amazing people. I'm so fortunate that I have wonderful interviews with people who have make it their life's work and passion to try to address solutions for this. And that's one of the things is that we want people to understand that you can take one first step and it can be just saying no to a straw. I mean, even just that thing is going to save some plastic from going into a landfill or the trash or the environment. And of course, it could be taken to all levels. But I think the fact that the film ends on a pretty positive note, like you can go out and do something right now. You know, the minute you walk out of the theater, here's just some simple things that you can do. And for kids, we have found that, you know, they're really compassionate and they care. So when they learn about animals being harmed, it really hits them and they want to be proactive and they want to do something. And so really kids and young people have been a tremendous force in all these campaigns that have popped up. Everything from straws to complete city ordinances that are being introduced around the country now to eliminate all the the whole array of what I would call restaurant plasticware. Mm. So that's everything from the styrofoam cups to the the polystyrene shells and the forks, and it, it has been such a groundswell and such an amazing advancement of to see this happen. What we're doing now is to try to get as many kids in the United States as possible to see the film through our Straws in Schools impact campaign. And we are very excited. We have some new curriculum that accompanies the educational DVD. And what this curriculum is hopefully will achieve is to get kids inspired and engaged to take some action in their communities as well as delve deeper into the topic and do some research and come up with solutions on their own in their classrooms with teachers. Yeah. This is fantastic. And I will absolutely agree that your film is incredibly informative. It's practical and it is joyful and it does leave us with hope. And I think it is because you do feature both biologists who are looking at the problem, but also children who are working to make a difference. And you show alternatives like bamboo skewers instead of plastic toothpicks. And you talk about the paper straws and how restaurants can easily make this change and end up saving money at the end of the day. So I really think that this film has a long way to go in terms of making an impact. 
I want to talk about legislation because I know in my state there we have a legislator who is actively working to make it so that individual communities cannot have a ban on, say, plastic bags. And this is so unfortunate because at a time when we're really becoming more aware of plastics, we would think that we would want more legislation. And I wonder if you're aware of any communities who are overriding this kind of statewide sweeping ban on bans. Any tips for our listeners? I'm trying to think. I I can't think of a specific community off the top of my head. I can tell you one success story, which is the Charleston and Mount Pleasant area of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And this is you know, an area where I would say, well, we actually had a ban repeal, a plastic bag ban yeah. <laughs> repealed here in North Carolina, which is very upsetting for for a lot of the you know, people who are concerned about marine animal welfare here. So we see that type of thing happening, and we see these ban on bans. But then on the other side of the coin, we do see a lot of communities that we might think, oh, well, they, maybe they're kind of conservative. You know, we tend to think of the South, unfortunately, as being one of the, maybe that kind of area. But but they proved that it does if you really go out and talk to businesses and you talk to people on an individual level and in a way that like you said to talk to restaurant owners to say look you're doing something good here for the you know you live in an area of tourism and natural beauty and you can save money by taking some of these measures i think where i think where people get their back up against the, the you know is when they feel like business owners are maybe being not treated fairly i think bringing them into the conversation is the best thing i think that when you tell business owners look you have a marketing uh, speaking point if you're going to be taking these measures people will appreciate them that you care about the place you live in and you care about the environment. So it's a, a lot of it's the how you frame it. And I do think hopefully a film like Straws and other films can, can help bring about the awareness in, in a way that's not too threatening. And, and, and one thing I do want to mention is that I have to say, I think some of this has happened because certain media outlets have started taking a very negative stance on, on the straw policies and the straw bans that are popping up. And this unfortunately gets some of their listeners to, they're hearing one side of it or they're automatically making assumptions around the topic. One thing I would like to say is that this film is not an anti-straw film. And I've always said, and I've even corrected people when they th- when they say, oh, who needs a straw anyway or all straws should be banned? I mean, we, uh, you know, I try, have always corrected and said, well, yeah, certain people do need them. They could be the disabled community, the elderly people, small children sometimes need that help. And it's really about the product plastic. And 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 in, we were even hearing that, well, for a lot of disabled um, people, that's actually their preferred material. Well, then we need to come up with something better to facilitate something that's healthier for them. Because what we know... It's plastic is just bad for you. Having it in your mouth, having liquids in it, having food in it, cooking in it, like you mentioned, if we really want to help our people in all communities, we have to be looking at focusing back on the health part of it. Absolutely. Well, 
Unfortunately, our time is up, Linda, but I want to thank you so much for this film and this work. We want to make sure that people have the website, which is www.strawsfilm.com. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Most of all, I want to thank you, Linda. This is a terrific film. It raises awareness. It gives us hope. It's 30 minutes of education, joy, and a way to be active and positive. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Those are huge compliments, and it it means a lot to me to hear that. So thank you, and I um, appreciate your time today. 